Hey everybody, as always, thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the Brothers Trek About. Uh, just a quick intro here to fill you in on a couple things about this episode. First of all, when Ken and I started out doing uh, the show, we really wanted to do uh, Star Trek. We wanted to uh, hit the original series, and then when Discovery came about, do Discovery, which we have been doing, and I hope you've been enjoying, enjoying the episodes. Um, but we also wanted to make it Trek About colon so that we could hit other fun subjects, you know, maybe someday hit Hamilton or maybe, you know, do whatever fun movies might be coming out. So, of course, me being a big Star Wars fan, why would I not want to review the Star Wars movie? So that's what you're about to hear right here, right now. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Also, on a stupid technical note... Um, for some reason, a lot of my audio got glitched in this episode. I don't know what happened. So sometimes you're going to hear the glitched audio. Sometimes you're going to hear re-recorded audio. I apologize for all of it. Enjoy the episode. And may the force be with you. Oh, he went there. Welcome back to the Big Big Show. As always, my name is Matt, coming to you from Austin, and coming to us is my brother Ken. Say hello, Ken. May the force be with you. That's right. We are the brothers trek about, but this week we are not be trekking about. We're going to be forcing our way about, as we'll be discussing the Last Jedi. Because wow, the hate out there has been incredible, folks. And uh, as a self-professed Star Wars fan, as I've said from the beginning, uh, I cannot believe it. I was amazed. Like I came out of this movie, like wow, that was that was heavy. I, I felt like it was a lot to unpack. I couldn't wait to go see it again after I had seen it. But like I got home and went online and was amazed by the amount of people coming out going, I don't think I liked it, or people just vehemently saying, that sucked. So uh, we're going to break it down some more. I will warn you right at the beginning that uh, both Ken and I liked it. So uh, there's not going to be a lot of counterpoint on our own part, but I think we will be breaking down and talking about some of the stuff we have been reading online and why people hate it. It's crazy. I think it's it's a question, right? So... Why is it that people don't like not only you know this movie or or the last movie or the prequels or or what have you, but you know since this is the Brothers Trek about, we can analogize a little bit to why franchises that get to live a long life, like some of the reviews that we saw about Discovery, or maybe the lack of enthusiasm around Enterprise or how some of the movies haven't fared well, or other long franchises. Obviously, James Bond has had its high points and low points. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, uh, looking at this specific example of this other space franchise, you know, maybe we can get some insight into the difficulty in a franchise that tries to live long and prosper. <laughs> right. Well, you know, you were uh, you were making a good point when we were talking before the show started about how, like, if this were any other movie, that it would not be uh, dealing with the hate that it's dealing with. That's right. It seems like 
you know, people love a franchise. They're invested. And if it was just some movie that, you know, you'd never heard of, space movie, and you didn't know anything about it or who wrote it or what it's about, and you went to see it and you didn't like it, you'd just be like, eh, whatever. You wouldn't right. feel the need to hate it. You'd just be like, yeah, didn't didn't buy it. And if you really love something and consequentially you have expectations, there are things you think ought to happen or going to happen that the characters work this way and they're going to behave this way in the future. And the writers and director and the creatives go a different direction, then you have some disappointment. And you can do two things with that. You can say, oh, I was surprised. That's what movies are supposed to do. Or you can feel let down and disappointed. And of course, you know, to paraphrase Yoda, disappointment leads to anger, <laughs> anger leads to hate. Hate is the path to the dark side. Right, exactly. Well, you know, it's funny because um, a lot of what I have been reading online from people who didn't like the movie are saying it wasn't about the expectations. I, well, I don't know. There might be two different camps. There's like might be camps who just went in thinking like, this is not my Luke Skywalker. You know what I mean? That I wanted Luke to come out at the end of the movie. I wanted him to like, I wanted him to like smash every one of those ATRTs or whatever they were, the ATATs, you know, into pieces. I wanted them to have the greatest lightsaber battle ever against Kylo Ren. Which, of course, is not what they did. Right. And even Mark Hamill said, this is not my Luke Skywalker. Right. Well, I mean, yes, he said that. I think know, that he changed his mind about it, but I, I think that, yes, well, he, he went in thinking that, definitely. Well, and I think that, in a lot of ways, this isn't, you know, the, you know, draw a line from A New Hope to Empire Strikes Back to New... And then just continue that line on infinitely, as though... Nothing ever happened to Luke to change his trajectory or to, you know, make him sad or disappointed or, you know, do anything different. Yeah. But, of course, that's not how reality works. And just having those expectations is kind of bizarre. Like, this is going to be the exact same person plus some number of years that he was from the last time we saw him. You know, so, for example, taking the, the character right. of Kirk... The way he was at the beginning of the motion picture and the way he was at the beginning of a Wrath of Khan, he, he was not the same Kirk that we had left. Those directors, and they talk about it a lot in the Wrath of yeah. Khan, is they wanted to create you know, problems for Kirk to overcome, that he wanted his command back, that he wanted, he was concerned about aging. That things had changed. He wasn't the same person. And now he had new things to wrestle with in his different yeah. position. And it only makes sense that Luke would be a different person with different problems. And the question has to be, is this something that plausibly could have happened? Even with a lot of bad things, a lot of you know, trauma, a lot of loss, a lot of grief, could he end up here? And I think the answer is totally yes. This is, this is a place he could have ended up. It's not yeah. ridiculous in the sense that like he gave up the force and became a smuggler and, you know, is like... You're like, no, no, he became he's on a solo pirate trace. out there. Yeah, yeah, he's a pirate. <laughs> he's not just a smuggler, he's a pirate. That's right. Yeah, I mean, and it's not like he turned to the dark side either. You know what right. I mean? He just he just got rid of it all because he just felt he wasn't the one to carry on the, the, the dogma of the Jedi, basically. Well, the legacy has to be gigantic, right? Right. I mean, there's so and he's the much last one. weight. Right. And of course, he knew the guys who were the real last ones. 
you know, yeah. who were brought up in the system, who had, you know, sat in the council, who had, you know, I mean, we, we see how Obi-Wan had, had been such a big deal, and of course Yoda had been a big deal for 900 years. Yeah. You know, so it all kind of, all that weight is on Luke, who didn't grow up in that and, and have, at the very least, the kind of, uh, you know, well-developed foundations upon which to carry some of that weight. And of course, you know, things went badly. So there was temptation and and Ben Solo apparently was you know a little too dark side. And you can imagine how yep. how would how would Luke be prepared to deal with that? I mean it was difficult enough for Obi-Wan who had all of the background teachings of all the Jedi lore and who could have, you know, right. at any moment gone to any one of the other Jedi masters and say, Yeah, you got a problem, you know, this is what I'm wrestling with, my apprentice is X, Y, and Z. Well, plus the you know the dark side was clouding everything as we know as well. So, well, it um, certainly was but, in terms of how his apprentice was being seduced. Yeah. <clears throat> oh yeah, you know. So uh, one of the funniest memes I've seen that's come out of this is you know the idea of like Luke running away. You know, because right. that's what everybody feels like. He's not standing up and fighting. But then right. you look at Obi-Wan. That's what he did. He went to go right. and hide yeah, and yeah. cover. And that's what Yoda did. Like, he wait- He was there waiting for Luke or Leia, whichever one was going to become the, you know, the next Jedi. So it's like there is – and not only that, and this is the most amazing part of it, is that this was George Lucas's plan. Like – his original plan for episode seven was that Luke had like disappeared. Nobody knew where he was or what he was doing. And in his original, you know, episode seven idea was that he was going to have like two younger kids who were strong in the force go hunt down and try and find Luke because nobody knows what happened to him. So, I mean, it was the same thing. It was mm-hmm. the same idea. So if you're yelling at Ryan Johnson, you should be yelling at, at George Lucas, because even though they didn't use all of his ideas for this sequel trilogy, they used that idea. They stole, you know, they totally stole that. Uh, the girl from who was supposed to be part of that was named Kira, who was then Kira for a while until they changed her name at the last minute for Force Awakens and she became Rey. So there's a lot of these like building blocks of the sequel trilogy that all came from George Lucas anyway. So again, everyone's going out and blaming, you know, of yelling at Ryan Johnson, and yet that's uh, not where this even started. And if we go back even a step further, back before Lucas, you know, to Campbell and the myth of a thousand faces you know kind of idea this reluctance for the hero to take the action you know the the hero who resists the adventure you know that's a core part and it's not uncommon in these stories for you know at some point you know our hero to refuse the call yeah and of course you know luke did it very briefly Oh, I, you know, I've got responsibilities, you know, people depend on me. I can't run off on your mission. Well, you we must right. do what you must, of course. But in this case, you know, it's not like Luke doesn't have an aunt and uncle who are depending on him or responsibilities around the house. He can he can say no. Nope, 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 nope. Yep. And unlike the young Luke who's kind of dazzled by... You know, this guy who knew his father and, you know, has all these other cool things and a light sword and everything else. You know, Ray's bringing nothing new. She just has the call to action. Right. You know, there's no there's no princess. And even when when R2 shows the princess, he's like, ooh, you know. <laughs> Dirty right, trick. Yeah. Dirty <laughs> trick. Underhanded. Yeah. 
So, you know, if you're familiar with the kinds of mythologies that Lucas was working with and drawing upon when he created the stories in the beginning, those are still playing out here. Yeah. And so, in a sense, the, the story is true to the original source material. Well, you know, this, and this is the other thing I was trying to say earlier, is that it's also, too, in that talk he has with Yoda, right? You know, saying that Luke, always looking to the horizon, never in the here and now. He says that in Empire. He says that again here. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's Luke looking at, like, this legacy, as you were saying, of the Jedi and just being overwhelmed by it and going, like, I don't right. even know how to go on. I made my misstep. I don't think that I can, I can come back from that misstep. And so then, and this is the part that, like, to me, you know, shuts all the naysayers down, is that then he does go to action. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He force projects himself. Yeah. He makes himself the, you know, he goes out there and does the most amazing force move. It's what's so elegant about it, you know? He, like, goes out there and does the most amazing force move that anyone's ever seen by astral projecting himself there, living time for, you know, Ray and the rest to uh, escape. Also creating the next generation of Jedi. Yeah. And his own legend. So I think, you know, connected to this idea of, of you know, that you're a fan of a franchise, so you love it, and therefore are susceptible to disappointment, I think fans are also susceptible to, you know, kind of projecting out the... what they think the characters are going to do. They think they know these characters. They think they own the characters... And they want the characters to do what they want them to do, not necessarily what would make for good stories. In a sense, they all become Mary Sue's, where you know everything is amazing for them. Yeah, they're successful in life, they're successful in love, they defeat their enemies, they establish a glorious new future, and everybody's happy, and it all works out great. But of course, you can't make drama around that. Right. You know, drama has to be built around things like conflict and failure, and we still have obstacles and those obstacles, you know, can't always be like, you know, say for Alexander, well, I've conquered Persia and then I went to India and, you know, maybe I'll go West and conquer Italy. Right. You know, sometimes it's going to be, well, the thing I thought I was doing didn't work out the way I thought it would. And I had obstacles and I didn't necessarily have the preparation to deal with those problems, which I think is what happens a lot to Luke, mm -hmm. both because he's, eye on the horizon, bearing this huge burden of of the Jedi. But he also doesn't have the network. He doesn't have the other Jedi to help him or to step up where he falls and go, you know, here, let me help you out with that. Let me give yeah. you some advice. I mean, you, you see scenes in the prequels in which Obi-Wan is talking with Mace Windu or Yoda about his apprentice and the problems of his apprentice. Yeah. And, of course, Luke has, you know, unless he's talking to Force ghosts, he doesn't have anybody yeah. to talk to. He's got to deal with this on his own. And he's he does have this flaw, this looking to the horizon. He's not, you know, living each day, you know, for itself. Yeah. So then when you expand that to fans, and the way that fans will, you know, kind of project stuff, it's hard to tell new stories. That's, that's an inevitable obstacle. So, for example, we saw with Discovery the creators there felt like they needed to rework the Klingons a little bit. You saw people objecting about how the technology looks as though you could go back to the 1960s and, and do anything like that. 
but why would you want to? You had to? people objecting. Yeah. You had people objecting to the fact that now the focus wasn't on a captain, but on a, a different officer. You know, lots of complaints. And, you know, good storytelling doesn't necessarily have to be about captains or use Klingons in the exact same way that they've always been depicted. You know, mythologies change and evolve, and different storytellers, you know, attribute different qualities to heroes. That So you're thinking, well, you know, which Hercules are we talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, the Hercules of the, the anger and the wrath, or the Hercules of the great strength, or, you know, is he, the, is he more son of Zeus, or is he just strong man? Does he represent the Dorians, or maybe he represents some other, you know, cities or places or locales? You know, the, the Italians had their own... Hercules, who did things in Italy. Right. <coughs> and so, you know, letting storytellers open up the story and reinterpret it and, you know, talk about old things in new ways allows the story to live forever. But if you, you know, this is the problem with canon, right? Okay. And so we see this when we're talking about the spore drive and discovery. Well, we've never heard of the spore drive. Can't introduce something new like that. <laughs> You know, that's totally illegitimate. I don't like it. Right. Or uh, we've never seen Vulcans do that before, you know, whether it's the long-range telepathy or, you know, various things. Uh, therefore, it's illegitimate. I don't like it. I can't let the storytellers tell a good... I'm not going to evaluate it. Is this a good story? i got to go, no, it doesn't... It's not narrowly confined within canon. You know, I heard people complaining about the fact that why have we never heard of Saru's in a species before? <laughs> as though... As though the galaxy is so small, we've met everyone. Yeah. There's nobody new out there. There, there are no new planets yeah. for us to, you know, discover. No new civilizations. To, uh, just to touch on the side, uh, on a side note to that, uh, I, I think that they, in my opinion, they're do, they're having the opposite problem in Star Wars because since the Force Awakens comes out, we haven't seen any, you know, Greedos, any, you know, uh, Hammerheads, any of those like classic creatures, and it's because like. The, the the Disney wants to open up the universe and be like, look how many mm-hmm. species. But like, why not just throw in a Greedo? You know, in that whole Cantina scene, you could have thrown in a you know a Hammerhead or a, or any of the a Bith. You know, playing the music or whatever. You know, it's like, why are we why are we not showing these classic? Why are they nowhere to be seen now in the Star Wars galaxy? All of a sudden. Although we did see them in in uh, the movie in between Last Jedi and. The Force Awakens, the the war one, did, where they steal the plans. Did we? I mean, yeah, we saw. Well, more so we see of the, the two guys that they that that uh, Obi Wan confronts in the. Oh, that's true. Cantina. Yeah, the character. Those two. They guys. were on this other planet. We even have R two and three PO wandering around. Yeah. Doing stuff. We have, you know, lots of callbacks in in that movie. In ways that, I guess that's for true. example, other other critics were saying, you know, why was this here? Other than to be a callback, yeah. you know, it was unnecessary. It didn't didn't need to be yeah. there. And you're like, yeah, but those familiar notes are, we enjoy those. Yes, exactly. So unless they're obstacles, they get in the way. They're distractions. Then, you know, if we're enjoying it, then, you know, especially when they're short. So, you know, it's interesting. I've been 
I'll probably hit on the prequels uh, uh, a couple of times throughout this conversation, but it's interesting because this feels like the prequels all over again. You know, uh-huh. it was like, again, I know they have flaws. It doesn't mean I don't love the movies. You know what I mean? I love all three of those movies, and I would rate them three, one, two, just out of, in case anybody cares. I love Sith the most. I love Phantom Menace next, and I just feel like Attack of the Clones is kind of all over the place. Uh, but it has some great stuff in it as well. You know, I love uh, the little mystery that, uh, you know, Obi-Wan gets to go on by himself and, the, you know, the finding of the clones. And then, of course, you know, those last minutes of that movie with, the, you know, with the Clone Wars actually happening and them fighting Dooku and all of that stuff is, I, I think, amazing. <clears throat> but it just feels like it's kind of all over the place. And... But uh, that's what it feels like to me. I feel like. This is, you know, there are people who are out there defending it because they love Star Wars and because, like, whatever Star Wars is, it's better than no Star Wars, you know? Right, which is a perfectly reasonable argument. Exactly. And not only that, but I also feel like that maybe us older generational people, you know, when we, we went through all of this stuff with the prequels, right? The love them and hate them and blah, blah, blah. So you then go into the movie theater and you watch something that just blows you away. You know, like, I'm not going in, I don't know, I didn't go in expecting a lot. Not, I'm not saying I'm not expecting a lot out of this movie, but I didn't. I had no expectations going into this movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, I kind of hoped I would have got to see, like I said, full power Luke going out there and yeah. just using his force powers to take on Legion's uh, stormtroopers. But again, I love the elegance of what they did. I thought that that mm-hmm. was really like perfect. So, so I don't know. Maybe maybe it was just that I, and I don't mean jaded in a bad way, but it was just that like. You know, I'm going in expecting, you know, a great Star Wars movie, and I felt like that's what I got. So, I don't know. That's well, I think I part of it is, is allowing the storyteller to tell their story. Right. Instead of in- insisting that the storyteller tell the story you want to see. Yeah. Well, you know, and so, like, so this will be a perfect segue into the Canto Bite stuff, right? The Casino Planet. Like, that. that's the part where everybody... It seems to be losing their mind. They're like, it was pointless. Why did they go there? Blah, blah, blah. But for me, and this is a point I made, like, after my second viewing of the movie, was, like, that in other any other movie is going to totally work out, right? They're going to be able to go onto the other ship. They're going to find the thing that they were looking for. They're going to be able to zoom the rest of the fleet away from the scary dreadnought, and then that's it, right? Yay, we have saved the day. But what's so incredible about this is that they totally subvert your expectations like most of this movie did. And what they do instead is that it causes the death of more of the resistance, of almost all of the resistance, let's be honest. So I I, I didn't hate that stuff. I love that stuff. Not only that, but it introduces, you know, the kids at the end of the movie. You know, we see them earlier. We see them again later in the movie talking about the legend of, of, you know, Luke Skywalker and essentially creating the next wave of resistance fighters and Jedi. Also, Rose's line, you know, when she goes to save Finn, you know, by saying, uh, we can't beat, we're not going to beat them by killing the thing we hate, but by saving the, the thing that we love. You know, I like, people are complaining about Rose or whatever, they didn't like her. I thought she was fine. Uh, but then people are complaining about the kiss that they have at the end, right? But I thought that kiss is perfect because it comes out of nowhere. It's like this perfectly like awkward girl who has this crush on a hero who then gets to go on an adventure with him. So at the end of it, she just wants to like kiss him. And yes, it might turn into something. It might not. We don't know. But I mean, I thought like it was like the perfect. It was just like the perfect little thing between the two of them. I don't know. I like that. Yeah. So yeah, I think shipping is an example of where people 
let their expectations get in the way of their pleasure, right? So, you know, whether it's Buddhist or Stoic, you know, there's this argument that expectations are the problem, right? You should have no expectations. You should just go in and say, deliver to me some excellent entertainment and I will be entertained. Instead of saying, no, no, these two characters have to fall in love. Not those characters. These characters have to have the happy thing. That guy's got to go away. He's in the way. He's a problem. And of course, you know, in a sense, you're stuck with whatever the creators came up with. You know, if, if they've got a new girlfriend for Finn in the third movie, mm-hmm. that that's going to happen. And shipping uh, Ray or shipping Rose or shipping, you know, Admiral Hodo or Poe. <laughs> yeah, Poe. <laughs> You know, whoever you think really belongs with Finn is kind of a mistake. I mean, I, I don't mind having some preferences as long as you can go to the movie and say, I'm willing to experience what you guys have created. Yep. In- instead of saying, well, if, if you didn't match the characters I need to be matched, then this movie sucks. Well, before we continue the shipping talk, because obviously we need to get into Raylo here in a minute, but uh, uh, I-, I-, I was going to tell the story because it was connecting to something, and I don't know why it was connecting. But anyway, uh, the first time I saw the movie, oh, because it was what you were saying earlier, about just letting it wash over you, like, again, no expectations, super excited, can't wait, go into the movie theater, sit down, and, like, I was just, like, I was, like, just blown away, like, for two hours, you know, what, or two and a half hours, <laughs> as long as it is. Uh, you know, like, I remember, like, it was just, like, a wash over me. It was, like, hitting me with, like, just tide after tide after tide you know what i mean so that when we walked out of the movie i mean i remembered the plot points but i just was like what i saw i don't even know like how i can put any of this into context and i knew i was going to see it again the next day like we already had both jamie and i had tickets to go see it the next day so we did but you know it was and i couldn't wait i was like yeah let's go do it i had two friends of mine who without telling me left the movie theater got on their phones, bought tickets for another at another theater, you know, 10 minutes away, and went and saw it again that night because they were just like literally just, again, what did I see that was amazing? And more to that, is it's amazing to me how many people I've seen online say, you know what, I went and saw it again, and the things that bothered me the first time bothered me less this time, which, again, I think has yeah. a lot to do with expectations. You know what I mean? It's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now my expectations are gone. I know that they're not the things that happened. So now, now show me again. Let me, let me now experience again what did happen. And then a lot of people on their second times are definitely, you know, enjoying it more. Not everybody, but most people are. So, yeah, I guess it's time to talk about Raylo here. You know, I knew that that was a ship that was happening after The Force Awakens. I did not see that. I, I didn't feel like that was uh, the way they were going to go with it. I thought that they had other plans right. for for both of the characters. But now that it's happened, uh, I mean, it was really interesting in the movie, right? You got you got them, you know, force timing with each other. I mean, look, I, I didn't expect there to be a romantic relationship between the two. He's kind of an abusive boyfriend in the first movie, right? You know, he's like totally trying to be invasive into her into her head in the in the interrogation scene so, you know that nice stop, have... stops her and holds her still with the force admittedly but still stops her from moving you know in the scene in the forest all the i want you to be a teacher i mean of course this is the thing is that they're setting up in that movie you know 
through JJ's mystery boxes that they could be brother and sister, that they, uh, you know, that maybe it was Kylo who left her on the planet. Like, there are, you know, a million questions you have about what their relationship could possibly be. So in my head, I kept thinking that it was going to be brother and sister or cousin or some such thing. So it isn't until after this movie comes out that I find out that when they were talking or then they were auditioning actors to be Kylo, that they were auditioning with stuff from Pride and Prejudice. I don't know if that's true. That could just be all fake. But so much of that comes out in this movie, and it, you know, is amazing. So there's so much about the Kylo and Rey stuff that I liked. I'm going to go back to Star Trek. You know, to have, let's say, Khan and Kirk talking to one another throughout the movie. Of course, those guys never actually have a scene together. They're always, you know, as you put it, force timing. (laughs) Yeah. And so, but that's some good stuff. Having those characters interact with each other, talk to each other. And so these characters who, you know, we're not exactly sure where Ray stands. You know, the movies from the beginning is, have always done a good job of, you know, making you wonder a little bit whether or not the good character might be turned to the bad side. You know, I, I don't think we notice it necessarily when we're watching New Hope to Return of the Jedi. Uh-huh. But, of course, when we rewatched, so I, with my granddaughters, we watched them in numerical order, one, two, three, mm-hmm. four, five, six, in part because the beginning of, New Hope with the jet with the uh, the droids wandering through the desert that was just too slow for little kids to get into. Right. And of course, Episode Four has a little kid in it, who they found it easier to identify with. Yippee! So it was just easier for us to watch. I tried, I tried four twice, and huh, you know they they couldn't get through, or the the older one couldn't get through uh, the desert scene. When you watch one, two, three, and then four, five, six, in four, five, six, there's a lot of foreshadowing that Luke might be turned. Yeah, yeah. Having already watched Anakin fall, <laughs> you know, Gypsy, the older one, was she was deeply concerned that Luke was going to go down the same path. Oh no, she was very upset. Wow, you know, in the final confrontation, huh? Because she thought, oh, I've invested in this second character. <laughs> now, of course, for her. It was so, you know, happy when Anakin gets redeemed because she had liked Anakin so much the Perfect first ending. time. And that now she had liked Luke. And so in a sense, she, you know, both characters are saved and become good again in a way that they don't necessarily in, if you watch it the first time. One, because you don't feel as much that Luke is at risk and you haven't invested as much in Anakin as a good guy as opposed to as a cool guy. Well, you know, it's funny because, uh, as, as I've told you before, my experiment with that same thing of taking somebody through one, two, three, right? We, went, so we watched one and two, and then we went to go see Revenge of the Sith in the movie theater, and she ended up bawling, like just straight up like crying because she was like, I thought that they were going to like mm-hmm. be together, and they were going to like live in a castle somewhere. And you're like, oh, yeah, no, that's not where this is going at all. So, you know, you don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you don't know Anakin's <laughs> going to turn into Darth Vader. Yeah. And then you get to that point in the series, that's like, that's the biggest shocker of them all. So good. In a lot of ways, you know, that's good drama. Yeah. So, you know, if you use the Shakespearean description, right, a comedy is funny, happy, ends in a marriage. Yeah. And 
a tragedy ends with everybody dead. Yeah. And, you know, you don't, I don't necessarily think that Star Wars is a comedy. Uh-huh. It's just, you know, it doesn't have enough comedic elements. It's not that funny. It doesn't seem like the kind of movie where everybody ends up happy and living in a castle. And, uh, you know, now, if you don't know what you're watching, you know, you could think, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end up being a comedy. Right. It's going to end up with a marriage, right? And it, if any trilogy kind of led you that way, that was probably the one that you thought, yeah, yeah, they're going to end up in a castle. Mm-hmm. But now it's a tragedy. Yep. Everyone dies at the end. I mean, literally everybody <laughs> dies at the end. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You got like four characters who escape. Exactly. Well, why? Since you mentioned uh, comedy, um, what was your take on the comedy in in uh, in the Last Jedi? So, because there's a lot of people who felt like it was too modern or something. Yeah, well, that's the kind of criticism I think is goofy. Uh, you know, a movie <laughs> has to exist in its time period. You know, you can't yeah. you can't say, well, the joke should have felt like the '70s. You know, <laughs> that's crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, you're going to get someone who's going to, like, steep themselves in a particular era's worth of humor to write the movie? You know, it's, well, then n- nobody watching the movie today is going to get the jokes except for old people. That doesn't make any sense. True. You have to make it contemporary in terms of the humor. But I think that in a movie like In a Tragedy, the purpose of humor is to lighten the tension a little bit. Because mm-hmm. otherwise it can get a little bit relentless. You know, you, you don't want every play to be... Uh, you know, Macbeth. So, you know, even if it's going to end up, you know, down, you, you kind of want a, uh, you know, Gildenstern and, a, you know, the other guy. Rosencrantz. That guy, yeah. <laughs> you want those two characters. You know, you want some characters who are going to be funny because Hamlet ends up with everybody dead. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, lightening the tension along the way makes that experience enjoyable. As opposed to depressing, and that's what I expect, you know, comedy to be in a in a show like this, which is, I think, ultimately a tragedy, and you know, full of all kinds of fighting, and tension, and drama. Well, I think too, like it, you know, Ryan Johnson uses it much like he does a lot of things in the movie to like subvert your expectations. You know, like you mm-hmm. got that whole opening bit with, you know, <laughs> can I get a general hugs on the line, please? Captain yeah. <laughs> yeah. tasty guy. <laughs> General Hugs looking for. <laughs> well, look, I can't wait for him. <laughs> so <coughs> and then you got. Uh, you also got Luke's line of, uh, "Where are you from? I'm from nowhere. Nobody's from nowhere. I'm from Jakku. Okay, that's that's from, that's nowhere. That's the middle of nowhere." <laughs> yeah. And then he comes right back with the, "Where? Are you, uh, um, who are you, Ray from nowhere?" I love that. Uh, but speaking back to Ray uh, and some more Raylo stuff, you know, it's, uh, so of course I watched the movie and I was like, okay, it's cool. I see what they're doing here. They're kind of setting up sort of a Romeo and Juliet thing, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which they also subvert in a way by, you know, then at the end of, cause you, you, you could almost think, okay, this is going to be return of the Jedi again. Right. You know, we're going to have the light side coming in, save the dark side. And you're like, oh no, that's not what they're doing at all. You know? Kylo then decides, you know, he's going to stay with the First Order and even goes so far as to do the Vader thing where he reaches out his hand and asks Rey to 
rule with him, which of course she's like, don't do this. Please don't do this. Which I think is great because it perfectly sets up the next episode, right? Episode right, nine. Yeah. The board has been cleared. So it's got to be just the Ray and Kylo story and that's it. There's nothing else left over to, right. to, to fight about. You know, it's the resistance. I mean, obviously it's the resistance and the, and the, uh, the, the, the first order, but it's also Ray and Kylo. And that's it. The board has been cleared. You know, there's no more Phasma. There's no more, uh, you know, a Snoke specifically. You know, there's nothing else, you know, for the story to deal with except for these two and, you know, good versus evil, basically. And a lot of the forces that the First Order has, you know, large armies and so forth, are kind of irrelevant if you're tracing down, you know, a few extraordinary people. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because that's another complaint that I've heard, which kind of even started in The Force Awakens, where, you know, you only sort of know that when they blow, when Starkiller Base blows up the Hosnian system, that they've taken care of the Senate and the fleet as well. So it's not depicted. Um, it's kind of a shame that they didn't do a little more of the backstory. I'm not saying in the galaxy as a macro view so we can sort of really either feel the loss of the Republic and also feel the strength of the first order at the beginning of the the last jedi it seems like the first order is like in charge all again you know it's 30 seconds after the the other movie ended but yeah now it's suddenly like the first order is large and in charge also uh in regards to Raylo, is, is that it was funny because jamie when <laughs> as soon as we got out of it jamie was like wow that was some of that stuff between ray and kylo was pretty hot and i'm like what she's like yeah it was like it was like it was kind of steamy, like, and I was like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see that at all. <laughs> right. I mean, I understand what happened in the story. I understand that there's a like a love connection happening there, but I did not see, you know, hot steamy romance coming in. And so she totally was like, no, you gotta be, you gotta be, you know. And we were talking to my boss about it. And my boss was like, you know, I didn't see it either. I don't know if it's just that, like, I don't associate sex with Star Wars. You know, it never seems like anybody has sex in Star, Lo- Star Wars. We had a virgin birth for Anakin, for gosh sake. So it's like, there's no, you know, there's no uh, love to be had, or there's no sex to be had in the Star Wars universe. But, yeah, Jamie, in fact, surprisingly, Jamie has even seen it yeah. one more time than I have. So uh, that's uh, also interesting. So yeah, let's get to your idea that Disney is reinterpreting the Force. Okay, so you know you go back and listen to the old George Lucas talking about stuff, and you know his description that you know when when people embrace good values like charity and mercy and kindness. You know, you get this one kind of thing, and, and that's the Jedi. And then people who embrace these darker, you know, hate, um, anger. You know, Yoda lists them off to us, right? Right. Uh, but he, he included things like greed, you know, all the bad stuff. Basically, you have the seven deadly sins and the seven cardinal virtues. Right. And, and I think, you know, his idea was much more uh, that there was a good side and a, and a dark side and a hero... And there was a more stark Manichaean view of the world with Lucas, especially early on, which is to say the original trilogy. And I, I okay. still think it's at work in the the prequels, although I, I do think it's not as clear. And now I, f- I feel like uh, you know Disney has made it clear in lots of mm-hmm. their materials 
which is to say not just these movies but you know the way things have played out in rebels and some other stuff that the the force is really as they are describing it here in last jedi it's just a thing it's just out there and there's no really good side and or light side and dark side the force just is and then you know it, in a sense it was a mistake for the Jedi to focus only on the light because they became kind of disconnected to the whole of the Force, and that was part of their mistake. And you know, the, the Sith equally make that mistake by focusing only on the dark, and that a, a, a proper Force user would have a balance. And so, you know, you you may remember some of the talk about uh, you know characters like uh, Mace Windu, who is a you know little bit darker than some of the other Jedi, and you know, was this a problem? Or when Luke got angry in, you know, Return of the Jedi or, you know, at, I mean, Luke gets angry at a couple of points. You know, was this a problem? Was this immaturity or weakness or, you know, a dangerous flirting with the dark side? Or was it just like a guy who's in balance and using both the light and the dark the way kind of the modern interpretation is? So, one, I, I think there is a change. Right, so I think I think Disney does have a different interpretation. It's a more gray interpretation than mm-hmm. than Lucas's. Well, and okay. I prefer the Lucas interpretation. Okay, but you know, not to the point that I would ever let it get in the way of enjoying how the movies get portrayed. Now, I'm always happy with the idea that just because someone on screen tells me something. That doesn't make it so. So just because characters, whether it's Yoda or Obi-Wan or whoever it is, might have said some stuff about light side and dark side and what it all means, right. that doesn't mean that they were right. I mean, I may prefer that they were right or not. And then I have characters now who are like, no, it's more of a balance. It's more of a gray. You know, you kind of have to have harmony between the light and the dark. They go, okay, well, that's your position. That's nice. Uh-huh. I don't think either of them have to be yeah. true. I think we could have other movies later which take a different point of view and it's it's not like this stuff is written in stone. So you should never let let a change in what the force seems to be meaning be something that like gets right. in your way. But I do hear people complaining about the kind of the loss of the Manichaean structure. And it's right. it's nice to invest in that powerful heroism that George Lucas kind of uh you know, set out in the first trilogy. Well, you know, it's interesting because in this one, we hear, you know, when they're when they're they're doing that first, you know, the first lesson, right? And she, and he said, well, yes, it's in that first lesson. But there's there's something else I wanted to hit on first, which was is that Luke actually says that after Vader was gone, there was balance for a while. Mm-hmm. So by him just being the good Jedi. The balance still existed, so I don't. So I don't know that they necessarily need to go gray. You know what right. I mean? I don't think that that's necessary. I don't think it feels that that's what they're doing because then in that first lesson when you got Ray on, you know, she's like feeling everything. She's feeling the balance between you know the light and the dark. I guess the light and the dark, the 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 violence and the peace and the you know and everything. So I feel like I feel like it's still leaning towards that the Jedi are good. And I right. think that I, I don't 
Beca- and just because of the way Disney is anyway with their villains and their princesses and all of that stuff, I don't think that they necessarily want to go, want to take away the idea that the Jedi are good or that the idea of the Force is grayer that mixes both. Because, I don't know, it just doesn't seem, it, a, it doesn't seem very Disney to me. And second of all, uh, like you, I think that that changes what Lucas wanted the Force to be in the first place. Just a thought. So uh, how, how do you feel? So I don't mind changing subjects. So I don't mind that they've added new Force stuff. I feel like they've, const- they've always added new Force stuff. You know, right. uh, what, one of my regulars at the bar smartly pointed out that the only real use of the Force that we see in Episode 4, right, A New Hope, is, uh, you know, the, 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 these aren't the droids you're looking for. Um, we see him use the lightsaber and then we see him like, you know, talking as a force ghosty. Right. That's pretty much it. So then the beginning of empire, what's the first thing that Luke does, but like, you know, pull the lightsaber to his hand. So now we're already, so from the second movie, we're already saying, Hey, there's going to be a lot of stuff that the force can do. We're not going to tell you all what it is right now. Then you go back to the prequels, and they're all jumping around. They're, you know, there's lots of stuff. There's lots of different stuff. There's you know, the dreams that they're having, the Force visions, which I guess Luke was also having. But you know, so there's all these different interpretations, not interpretations, but there's all these different uses of the Force. So coming then into this movie, and you have people who are, are Force-timing, which, by the way, this has been pointed out a lot, but Jamie pointed it out to me the second time we saw it, was that Kylo actually says to Ray the first time they're force timing is like you can't be doing this the right. effort would kill you which sets up then the end of the movie when <laughs> Luke Skywalker is projecting himself across the galaxy and you know it ultimately kills him so that's amazing so the new ideas of what the force can or cannot do does not bother me at all I totally dig it and I loved what they did in this movie with that stuff so I, I think gaming has always introduced a lot of really good ideas into to franchises. I think mm-hmm. getting too committed to one game's interpretation can be a problem. I know, uh, like the guys who do, I think it's uh, Trek Yards, you know, w- one of them kind of grew up with FASA and uh-huh. Starfleet Battles, and so he has problems with the fact that that was never really canon and they've gone in different directions we- with stuff. But, but then there's, you got just the opposite problem because on the Star Wars end, you have the West End games yeah. that, like, l- you know, laid out so much stuff, and then forever that was canon. All of that right. West End game stuff, and some of it still is. So you know, a lot of that stuff you and so when you're building characters, and you can go, well, I've got like all these powers, force powers, I could choose, but I've only got so many character points to apply, or slots, or right. I've only gotten so many experience. You know, I can't, I can't buy them all. I can't use yeah. them all. So I'm going to select, you know, this and that. And so I've got, like, this small range of powers that I'm good at. Maybe this broader range of powers that I'm capable of using. And you over there who built a uh, Jedi just like me, you have a whole different set of powers. Yeah. And so ultimately there are lots of powers out there that are the Force. But unless we see one Jedi using all of them. There's no reason, you know, to think that the old rules still don't apply. We're just meeting new Jedi, and new Jedi mean new powers. Yep, exactly. I do think you have a problem, and here I'll go to James Bond. Okay. So James Bond had this problem in terms of the gadgets, Uh right? You know, 
adding new gadgets constantly at some point did become a distraction. It became not just, oh look, spies have gadgets, but the movie seems to be about the gadgets. Yeah. And so at some point after Goldfinger, and I'm not sure exactly when, because it probably isn't just one movie. You know, it wasn't yeah. just Thunderball, or it wasn't just Diamonds Are Forever, it wasn't, you know, just Live and Let Die, Moonraker. You know, it's at, at some point in the mid-70s, you know, when you're, let's say, three or four movies in, you're like, you know... <laughs> Especially when the plots get thin. You yep. know, some of those, let's say Moonraker, The Spy Who Loved Me... Uh, especially, you know, uh, um, the one with Duran Duran doing the theme song. View to a Kill. Yeah, View to a Kill. You know, <coughs> I think they have a, a story problem. The stories get a little bit weak. And in that sense, the gadgets become a crutch. Yeah. And so I, I think there is an argument to be made about you got to be careful when you're adding the new stuff. On the other hand, I think it's perfectly reasonable to say, if you're telling a good story, whatever the story needs the Force to be, that's what the Force is going to be. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, you know, uh, I was just reading, uh, uh, or not reading, I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about the Phantom Men, no, talking about Revenge of the Sith. And uh, the guy, the guy who... So it's Star Wars Minute. That was the name of the podcast. It's the one where they, you know, listen to or they watch one minute of Star Wars and then they talk for 30 minutes about that one minute. So they're doing Revenge of the Sith now. And the guy that they had on was a screenwriter for. um, And he goes, you know, the biggest problems he goes, the biggest problems that they have in these movies prequels is, is that George Lucas would come up with a character or a ship or an idea. And then the whole part of the movie is built around that one idea. And he goes, and that's not how you write a screenplay. He goes, I was, he goes, I was actually hired to write a screenplay. We had a great script. And then one day the director came in and had this idea. And he goes, this is a director I can't name, but that you would know. Like, and he came in with this great idea for a shot he wanted that had nothing to do with the rest of the script. So we literally had to rewrite part of the third act because we needed to put this shot in. And he goes, and that's what makes a bad movie. So there's so many times you can go into a movie and being like, oh, the director really wanted to do this or wanted this, blah, blah, blah. So the best instance of this is Gr- General Grievous. You know, like they created, they, they were drawing out, you know, what could this character look like? And what could this character look like? And blah, blah, blah. They didn't have, there wasn't a General Grievous yet. But Lucas picked up the drawing, looked at it and said, oh, I want to make this a character in the next movie. And so he adds General Grievous. Did you need General Grievous in that movie? Probably not. There was a lot of other stories to be told. That's always mm-hmm. my problem with, 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 the, uh, with the prequels is I always feel like, well, you wasted a lot of time telling this part of the story that really didn't matter. You know what I mean? My, my biggest go-to, of course, is the 30 minutes you spend on that stupid pod race, right? Why couldn't mm-hmm. it have been one lap? You know what I mean? Why couldn't it have been, uh, you know, this to that? You know, it could have been like a five-minute thing, and then we would have been over with and gotten on and talked about something maybe more interesting, whatever that was. So, so I feel that that's the same thing that probably happened with a lot of those gadget things is like, well, what's the new gadget this time? Okay, let's build up where yeah. we get to a point where suddenly he needs a new gadget as opposed to let's write the script and then see where we can put in the gadget. Well, I think you know, at a certain point you know, in the beginning, let's say the first two movies, by which I now mean Dr. No and From Russia With Love, yes. in which it was just the idea that, that spies had gadgets. And so if we're doing a spy story, we're going to have, you know, the camera bow tie or the, 
you know, the vest microphone or, you know, these kinds of little tricks. And it wasn't so much, we got to have gadgets, as it was, well, spies have gadgets, and he's a spy, so he has gadgets. And then at some point, we're like, okay, now we built a car that had machine guns and ejector seats and bulletproof panels, so how do we top that? Well, we're going to have to do something really extraordinary. Instead of just being like, you know, spies have gadgets, so let's just go back to spies have gadgets. And if we come up with some good ones, or if the story demands that he has a good one, then he has a good one. And if the story doesn't need it, then, you know, aside from the fact that he'll have, you know, uh, a camera in a weird place, like a buttonhole or something, then we don't have it. I, so, I, like, I don't feel like, whether we're talking about Discovery and the the Vulcan, you know, mental powers, or whether we're talking about the Force... Or whether we're talking about how the, the Klingons were altered or, you know, any of this stuff. That any of that, any of that stuff was done because, well, we got to top it. We, you know, we got we to gotta be new just for the sake of being new and it's got to top what we've done before. I felt like, you know, this stuff typically is introduced because you want either to say something about the character or you want to advance the character story. Because you want to advance <coughs> the character story in a way that, you know, feels like it's cool. You know, Luke should do cool things. Mm-hmm. They had to do it this way because otherwise, like, you, you saw what happened. I mean, of, that's exactly what Ray would have done is she would have pulled a gun on him and then tried to kill him. You know what I mean? So it's like you had to have some way for these two to communicate where they weren't actually seeing each other. Right. And no one's just, neither one of them are just going to, like, hollow net up the other one and be like, hey, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> But I, I think one of the... Yeah, I mean, the thing that struck me most that made that necessary as opposed to just, why are they doing this? Was, there's this question. Is Ray going to turn to the dark side? Is, uh, you know, Kylo salvageable? Is there enough good in him to redeem him? Mm-hmm. And so as long as that was in play, having them interact, you're, you're wondering, who's turning who here? They both seem to be trying to turn one another. Yeah. And that's good story, right? Because that's what this stuff is about. Yeah, that that was. I mean, obviously, that was my favorite part of the story was the where they took those characters was just was unexpected and amazing. I really loved the whole thing because so you got you set up that whole throne room scene, right? Up to like they, there's a scene on the elevator, just like in Return of the Jedi, right? Just like between him and and, and Vader. Invader. So he set up that thing, and then you get him on there, and then he kills Snoke in like the most brilliant way ever. And then, yeah, you know, he uh, they they start fighting together against the Praetorian guards. So you just you feel like, okay, this is it. Even Ray is like, okay, hey, call off the uh, call off the bombing of the of the guys. And then when he doesn't, and again, your whole expectations now again subverted by what he's doing. You're like, oh, this isn't gonna go that way. <laughs> Which maybe too, I I did hear I I sort of felt that way too. Is that I feel like in a way this was the like the third movie of the trilogy, so it'll be really interesting right. now to see what the third movie of the trilogy will be because you're like, well, we took care of Snoke, and you know again we, we've cleared the board, so all we have is mm-hmm. you know the resistance and the not that there's not an adventure now for story, uh, you know, an adventure for Poe and Finn and everybody. Uh, I I think it's wide open. Yeah, exactly. They could all. I mean, they can do anything. It's going to be great. Love it. 
You know, and one of the great disappointments, of course, is that Carrie Fisher died. Yes. And so they couldn't make, you know, movie three about Carrie Fisher the way they had planned. Yeah. And while that will be a disappointment, her untimely death also means that, really, as you've said, the boards are cleared. Snoke is gone. Yep. Luke is gone. Han is gone. Leia is gone. And so this is going to be a whole new story about future people, unburdened by the past in a way that Kylo, you know, was all about. Yep. Well, it's funny, man. You know, so, Go ahead. yeah. Go ahead. Well, yeah, Luke was, you know, kind of being a stick in the mud, uh-huh. right? Oh, I'm not going to go on the adventure. I'm not going to do the thing. And part of his, so she wants to redeem Kylo, right? You can tell that's what she yep. wants to do. And he's just not into it. Nope. And in in one sense, you kind of feel like, what's wrong with you, Luke? You know, go do that thing that you did before where you redeemed the guy. Yeah. And and he's kind of like he's in, he's not fixable, and ultimately, that's how it plays out. Yep. He was not susceptible to being turned by by Ray. Do you think he's so irredeemable? Right. His. Go ahead. Luke was right. What? So I mean, well, Luke's unwillingness to go. He's like, what are we going to go do? Because if he's already aware that. Kylo's not redeemable. Yeah. It's like, well, what What am I supposed to do? I mean, I, I can open some doors. I can, you know, baffle some stormtroopers. I can turn off a tractor beam if you need me to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, how does this get us to the thing? Because the thing, redeeming Kylo, that's not a real thing. We can't do that thing. So do you think he's... So he, ir- in a sense, he... Do you think he's irredeemable? He turns, well, Luke turns out to be right. Do Is he irredeemable? Uh, I mean... He seems to be making all the choices that say no. You know, it's interesting. But, I think so. But again, I think that that's purposeful. I think that they're setting him up so it looks like it. You know, of course, the fans all along have been like, well, he's irredeemable in my eyes because he killed Han Solo. You know, so many people have been saying right, that. Right, yeah. But, uh, but I mean, story-wise, it's... Oh, <clears throat> so taking a real-world look at it, here's the reason I don't... I, I do think he'll be redeemed. And, and uh-huh, right. is because he's the only Skywalker. So if this is the Skywalker mm-hmm. saga, okay, so maybe okay, so maybe the Skywalker saga ends with the last Skywalker dying. Possible. I, I feel like Tragedy. Yeah, I guess. I, I just don't feel like that's <laughs> the way again they're gonna go with it. You know, it just doesn't seem like Disney's uh-huh. like ready to do that. So it'll be interesting to see if uh it'll be interesting to see if if, if they decide to get rid of him somehow. And even if he is redeemed, then what? You know what I mean? Like, he still was the leader of the... He was, you know, part of the Starkiller base. He was... You know, there was that Infinities... There was a Star Wars Infinities uh, comic that was done where, you know, uh, what happens if Luke would have done this, this, and this, which would have eventually saved Vader. But then you're left with the question of, like, but then he's still Darth Vader. Like, he still killed all those people. Like, the galaxy isn't just going to be like, oh, okay... (laughs) Your forced religion must be saying it's fine, so we're going to say it's fine. Like, that's not happening, you know what I mean? So, uh, because I think at that point anybody comes after him, and then he's like, oh, old Anakin again, just killing people, because you're not going to take me alive, copper. But, uh, so, I don't, so I guess we'll see what happens. This is, I'm going to throw Jamie's theory just so that it's out in the universe and people know it. Jamie's theory is, is that Ray is going to die trying to save 
not like literally, like metaphorically, but like physically save Kylo, and then that's what makes him turn back. Mm-hmm. That's that's Jamie's theory, which I like. I thought I even thought about like getting her on the podcast because I'm like, because she is, she's been thinking some awesome stuff lately, and I'm like, oh, I like that uh-huh. idea. That's amazing. I do feel like some of the the best stuff is when you think about this good content, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so thinking about Star Trek, which is what this podcast is usually about. Yep. And thinking about Star Wars, which is what we're doing today, or thinking about stuff that's worth thinking about. Shakespeare, we've mentioned that. Yep. Just thinking about good literature, whether it's performed or whether it's written, that's worth doing. That's interesting. That's engaging. So, I I think the trick is not to become so committed to your own view of things that when it turns out to be something different, you're unhappy. Because I I have difficulty figuring out why people are so unhappy without that kind of commitment. Uh, In terms of, in terms of, in in terms, in terms of the Force Ghosts that we were just discussing, what did you think of the bringing back Yoda in this one? So I I thought it was good. But a part of it was, this is, you, you know, Luke had two teachers, Obi-Wan and, and Yoda. So as Luke struggles with ending the Jedi, with whatever that means, you know, burning down the temple, destroying the books, you know, whatever, it kind of makes sense that at some point one of them shows up to offer some advice. Given that Alec Guinness is not available, that Ewan McGregor yeah. showing up probably just would have made Luke go, and who are you again? You know, because he'd never seen young, young Obi-Wan. Yoda's the obvious choice. Exactly. So I agree. I agree. I think Yoda is the best choice uh, for all those reasons. Ryan Johnson he, himself even said, you know, I think that he just didn't have a, you know, Luke just didn't have a relationship with this Obi-Wan, with Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan. So right. it would be, that would be weird, which is also very true. Um, and I think that Yoda is the perfect person to sort of tell him, like, hey, you know, like, remember those things that I told you, you're not doing, you're still not doing them. Right. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? Uh, so, yeah, I thought it was great. Um, I did see somebody online say, and I thought that this was brilliant, was that <clears throat> the idea of bringing in Anakin to talk about, like, yeah, I made mistakes, too. Like, let's have hope everybody can learn from them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But here's my thought is, like, let's save that for the next movie. Let's have Anakin come back to Kylo and be like, what are yeah. you doing? You know what I mean? You're like, think of the mistakes I made. Think of what I did. Think of all it cost me, my children, my wife, you know, all of that, all gone because I because of these mistakes that I made. I think I, I can only hope they'll do that, though I suspect that they won't. But that would be amazing if they did it. Like, um, yeah. Let's see. What else? Oh, uh, how about that reveal of Ray's parents? How, how, what's your stance on that? Again, I'm just hitting all the things that people are complaining about. So, <laughs> Ray's parents, how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, I think it's fine because I don't have any... It was fun to think about. Yeah. But you can't get committed to what you think about. You know, right. You have to be, one, willing to be surprised by the story. The story cannot be surprise-free. 
Right. It's got to be willing to take you in a direction you did not expect it to go. It's got to be able to pull reversals on you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's got to be willing to make you think that you're just trying to figure out what the Genesis Project is all about. Then you, oh my goodness, it's Khan! <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I liked it. I liked it too. I like that, you know, um, somebody, I'd, I'd heard, I'd heard somebody say, I don't know who it was, but I, I'd heard or read somewhere like two weeks before the movie came out, they were like, Ray probably knows who her parents are. Like she was what, eight in that, you know, in that little thing where uh-huh. the ship's flying away. Like she would recognize her parents. She would know who they are. She would know their names. So the fact that she didn't immediately recognize Luke or immediately, right. like, you know, uh, see Han and Leia and be like, holy cow, you're my parents. Like, that instantly tells you that we don't know who's – or she hasn't ran into whoever her parents are yet. Right. So they, they, and so once that got implanted in my head, like, two weeks before the movie came out, I was already ready for – this may not go the way you think, to quote, you know, Luke. That this is – that they could totally, again, subvert it in some way that's going to be, oh, my gosh – and so what I've loved is people saying that, like, their favorite part of Ray's parents being nobody is, is that the Force isn't about bloodlines again. You know what right. I mean? It's not about midichlorians or any of this stuff. It's literally like the Force can – the Force – it's going back to the Force could be anybody, right? Like, right. Just like we felt after the original trilogy of, like, uh, I should be able to use the force and get this remote in my hand, you know? Yeah. It's like, so I think that that's cool the way it's kind of opened up the idea of like, and then we see the little boy at the end, right? Who's using the broom to, or who grabs the broom with the force. It's like, those are just these like perfect little moments of, okay, we're going to open up the force again so that it can be anybody and not just these set group of people. I was kind of making notes as we went along. How much do you think that this is a, uh, I know in American culture there is a strong phenomenon for the pendulum to swing the other way, for people to turn against whoever is on top, to dislike uh-huh. the obvious favorite. So to what extent is this kind of a blowback phenomenon or a, you know, that this movie's supposed to be so good... I feel like I need to pile onto it and attack it just because no movie can be that good. The or, trolls of the world. Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, I think there's trolls, but I think there's a... Whether it's, you know, to put it in a, in a nicer phrase, we, especially I think in American culture, there is a support for the underdog. Mm-hmm. And support for the underdog naturally comes with a kind of wanting to tear down who was ever on top. And I think we do have a lot of tearing down. You know, the way a celebrity like a Britney Spears can get built up really quickly and then torn down really quickly. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what this word is. It's not flashback. It's not blowback. But it's got back in it. Baby's got back? But we do have that kind of... We like to tear down things. Right. We like to... And so how much do you think that Star Wars is just plagued by the fact that it is a successful franchise and so it's just going to have a lot of haters uh you know it's yeah i mean it's so possible you know it's funny because 
I saw an article in a reputable paper that was basically like, oh, it looks like the next, uh, the, the last Jedi is going to bomb and, you know, yeah. blah, 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 despite the fact that it already made $600 million. And I was like, how's that a bomb again? Yeah. You know, and then just this past week, Forbes put out an article that was like, can we just stop saying that the last Jedi is going to be a bomb? Because it's not. <laughs> you know, it's already made 800 million, or it's already made, like domestically it's already made like 517 you know yeah million dollars worldwide it's already crossed the billion mark like it's it, this is in no way a bomb uh right so yeah i mean i, I there's probably a there probably is some of that but it's weird for me because you know the two biggest places i've been seeing it are in these two star wars face groups that i belong to right you know what i mean you know facebook groups and so it's weird when you've got people who are like no, I really love Star Wars, and we can talk about it for hours on Facebook, and then go see a Star Wars movie and be like, "Well, that movie just sucked." You know what I mean? That's the that's the more interesting, you know, people in my mind. So here's a specific example of of this phenomenon: the hipster, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like that band, but only their early work. Yes, exactly. At some point, they became, and you know, there's a long too commercial. They sold out to a major label. They changed their style in this particular way. They changed their lead singer. Something changed, and suddenly now, you know, we're just going to trash on that thing. Yeah. Rather than saying, well, you know, bands can't produce the same sound forever, or at least not be successful. And you know, it's certainly reasonable to like some albums other than more than others but there's this phenomenon you know it's there's this thing where people are like well i i like the early work well you know that's i hear that about star wars all the time they're like i love yeah. the original trilogy but i don't like anything else and you're like well okay then are you really a star wars fan or yeah. just like an original trilogy fan that's what you you know like like there's a difference you know some uh, they used to somebody called it out one time and was like okay so you like half the movies I think yeah. I don't think that that makes you a, a fan. You know what I mean? You only like half of a thing. Yeah. But we see that, you know, all over the place. You know, yeah. they're. I, I like them under these limited conditions, and you're like, ultimately, those conditions are pretty limited. Yeah, exactly. I only like this team when this one guy was the quarterback. Yeah, uh -huh. team's been around for seventy years. Most of that time. Not had that quarterback. <laughs> yep, so exactly. So maybe you really don't like that team. Maybe you like that quarterback. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's perfectly reasonable for there to be lots of people who have an occasional appreciation for Star Wars. To not actually yeah. be Star Wars fans. To be, I like certain stuff, and this movie hit that thing, and this these other movies didn't, and so I kind of like these movies. And I think that's perfectly reasonable. Mm -hmm. You know, when, I, I think it was around, I think it was when they were making uh, Star Trek Six, And whether it was the director, the producer, someone was saying, you know, you want to make a movie that is capable of, of of winning over, of appealing to a broad audience, not just the fans. I mean, obviously, I think, you know, especially mm -hmm. looking at, at the Marvel, you know, phenomenon yeah. that they've done, certainly you want to win over the fans. You don't want your appeal to be so broad that the fans are kind of like, uh, I don't even recognize this material. Yeah, I don't even know what this is. Yeah. But you also don't want to be like, 
you just keep going over the exact same material and the characters don't change. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's you, boring. Yeah. In movies especially, because movies are supposed to be arky, right? I mean, especially movies made today. You know, I, I, so, you know, to talk about some of the stuff we're talking about on a more regular basis, you know, uh, the early original series and its kind of lack of arkiness, its strong episodic character is something that works, I think, well in TV. And it doesn't work in movies. Mm -hmm. And so even just taking those characters into the movies meant we were going to have arcs. And of course, if you are a movie franchise, whether it's, uh, you know, Star Wars or or even James Bond, I think if you, you know, like, look at the Daniel Craig, they've been really good and part of it's been, they've been arky. Yeah. I think one of the reasons Sean Connery got bored of it was... They weren't Arky. His character wasn't doing anything interesting. Yeah. He was just doing the same thing over and over again. And when your actor gets tired of being James Bond, you know you've got a problem. Right, exactly. One last thought I had uh, was, uh, what about Hux? Mm -hmm. Because it's interesting because I've heard people, I've heard people say that, because I feel like he was the butt of a lot of jokes. Like, and uh -huh. he has been in both movies, you know what I mean? Right. Like, um, but also, I mean, in the first one, you, you could tell he had that thing going on with Kylo. And then right. in this one, <clears throat> it took Jamie, like, three times to see this movie before she saw this moment. I saw it the first time. It was when Kylo's lying on the ground and Hux is standing over him. He reaches for his gun, mm -hmm. like, really, like, subtly. And then as soon as Kylo wakes up, he puts his, like, coat back. And he's like, yeah. I wasn't going to do anything. I wasn't going to kill you. So it's interesting because then the question becomes, what is what happens to Hux? Like, so especially in this one, like at the end when he's like repeating what Kylo says, just so he can feel like he has some sort of like, he's going to try and yeah. like, supplant Kylo. And I'm like, I don't think Hux is that strong a character to do that. Like, I, I just feel like the way they've been treating him, it doesn't, it doesn't work. What do you think? Yeah. So, you know, compared to our, let's say the more Imperial figures, right? Those guys were, and part of it is the mental landscape in which Lucas was operating were World War II movies, right? Yeah. So these guys are basically Nazi generals. Exactly. And the Nazi generals were all older guys. Yep. They were guys who'd worked themselves up through the German army. They had all had World War, World War I experience. These were not guys like Hux. Right. And I do feel that one of the things that's going on with the new the first order is that they were not necessarily you know drawing on this high quality tradition of guys who came up and had proved themselves over and over again right he he was available <laughs> he's available to do the thing and well, so yeah he may not be uh grand mark toffin yeah who was you know a serious guy you know yeah. And we do see these, one of the features of Imperial officers is that they are, they're cunning, they're sneaky, they're tricksy, they're willing to stab a guy in the back, and I think Hux has all that. Uh -huh. It's just that Hux feels like he's 28, rather than, say, 58. Yeah. Well, I think that's sort of purposeful, too, and it's funny because I was reading through the, the visual guide the other night, and... uh Remember the guy who's, like, leading up the dreadnoughts right at the beginning of the movie, the older guy, you know? His name's Kennedy. 
And, uh, you know, he's a former Imperial officer from back in the day. You know, so, but here he is dealing with all these, like, younger idiots, you know. Yeah. You know, we should have had the, why weren't the TIE fighters out five minutes ago? You know, like, him just, like, dealing with, like, the incompetency of all of these, like, younger kids who, you know, the First Order was able to get their hands on. I mean, some of the backstory on the First Order is, is that they've been, like, grooming these kids, you know, over the last, like, 20 years. Yeah. They've just been, you know, yanking them out of their, like, houses and stuff to, you know, to groom them to become, you know, these stormtroopers or officers or however they're testing out. So, anyway, I just... The, interesting and I'll, we'll see what happens with Hux in the next one it just again seems hard for me to think that that's gonna that that he I mean I guess he's next in line technically right he was even yeah. tested in, in this movie that you know Kylo was just like taking over but I don't know he's an interesting character too he's 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 really like come high on my list of characters I want to see what happens in the next movie too mm-hmm all right. Well, I got. I think my notes are done. You got anything else you want to talk about? Anything we haven't hit? I think we pretty much uh, hit all the highlights. I mean, not that I couldn't talk about this movie for another hour, but uh, maybe we'll we'll save it for when the DVD comes out again or something. <laughs> the night we had finished recording this, my brother sent me a uh, addendum. Something you wanted to add. One last thought. So uh, this is Ken's one last thought. I do have one more thought. And that is, in the way that, say, a stalkery boyfriend or girlfriend can be too obsessive and cling too tightly to the thing they love a little too much, it's possible that some of this hate is the result of finding out that that object of your affection doesn't remain the thing that you want it to be. You want to freeze it in amber and never let it go. And it has a life of its own. It's becoming different things and moving on and experimenting with different approaches to characters or the Force or what happens next or plot lines. I feel like that left us dangling somehow. (laughs) But that's my brother for you. All right. Well, that's it. That wraps up another episode. Folks, we will be back next week with Discovery. Believe it or not, Discovery is coming back. We're very excited. We can't wait for it. Uh, I might even have to do a rewatch this week just to uh, catch up and remember what it was that even happened last to last because it feels like it's been – I know it's only been like six or eight weeks, but it feels like forever ago to me. It, this whole month is just – it's been a long month. Let me just put it that way. All right. Well, on that note – My name is Matt. I'm saying goodbye. And as always in Houston, say goodbye, Ken. Live long and prosper. That's right. And we'll see you all next week for some discovery.